Every week when I get ready to speak, I, I'm always asking myself, okay, who is my audience today and where are they? And I realize that every week they're just, all of you are in different locations in your walk with God. Some of you are maybe here seeking, uh, you know, you're kind of checking out the, th- the place here. You're checking and going like, okay, somebody invited me to church uh, and so I'm here to check out. I'm not really sure about the God thing. Uh, some of you may be there. Some of you may be people who just recently uh, followed Christ and were baptized. Uh, next weekend, we'll be baptizing some more folks. It's something uh, you've taken that first step toward following Christ and, and seeking Him. Some of you have been believers for many years. And so I realize that, and in the context of that, I realize that every week when I look at the passage of Scripture that I will deal with, I ask myself, okay, what is it that people, uh, what's their motivation? What, is, what do they want to get out of this? And, and I realize it's different. And so today, this is kind of an interesting passage of Scripture for all of us in different ways. Because the thing about it is, for the last seven weeks, uh, if you've, I did to catch you up, the last seven weeks we've started at Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and have been working our way through the first five chapters of the book of Acts. And so the thing is, is that when you do that, you know, this happens to be where we are right now, and so we can't skip this, uh, because even if it is uh, difficult, but I think it's encouraging today as well, because it's got some really good stuff in here. It's a really difficult story in here that we're going to look at. We're going to start with the end of chapter 4. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verses 32, and then we're going to follow along with two different uh, parts of a story today. The last part of chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, I want to entitle Generosity. And then the first 11 verses of chapter 5, I want to entitle Authenticity. And we want to talk about how those two things go together and how the Holy Spirit works in this. Because I asked the question, I said, well, what's the motivation for all of us? Well, the motivation is this. Have you ever thought you'd like to be a part of something incredible? You ever thought about that? You know? I know some of you are thinking, oh, it's football season, yes! You know, you go down the road, you know, down here, and I was down this morning, driving my way down at 6 a.m., going down to McDonald's. They open at 6 a.m. on Sundays uh, to pick up my cup of coffee because nobody's here to make it, you know, and so I'm too lazy to make it myself, and I don't know how to anyway over there. And so I was doing that, and there's a sign up there. You notice that on, I forgot where it's at, and every day, oh, it's right here at this uh, uh, place down here where, um, uh, it's the rental place down here, you, you know. And they have, every day they change the number, only... Six more days to Middlemore football, you know? And I'm going, okay, that's cool. You know, and I'm sure over in Washington, they have kind of the same thing and, you know, and somewhere else, you know, all over the place. And, and we get all excited about stuff like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking. So when I say, you know, if you ever want to be excited, well, some of you may be a part of a football team or a basketball team. I'm talking about something that's life changing. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that Middlemore football and Washington football is not life changing, but it's not. You know, after the season's over with, there'll be another season and another season and another season. I mean, we'll get excited. We'll jump up and down. I will go to the games and I'll get excited and I'll jump up and down too. Not the whole lot. I'm not that kind of person. But, but the issue is, is that I'm talking about if you ever wanted to be a part of something that's really bigger than yourself, that's really going to make a difference in the world. And, and my answer to that is yes. Because when I look in the in, in, in Acts chapter one and beginning the process, I look and see a picture, a snapshot of a church that's the kind of church that God wants us all to be a part of. It's not just this organization that you go into and you go into on a Sunday and you kind of like sit there and you do your thing, and you go home and it doesn't affect your life the rest of the week. And, and it's not the kind of place where you go in and, and you just go through the processes and it, you really, you know, you give your money and, and you know, and some ministry's done and, and whatever, but you're not really involved in that. You know, the early church was a church that 
Jesus was getting ready, to, we, we read in Acts chapter 1, he was getting ready to leave the planet, okay? He was getting ready to, to, uh, to ascend to heaven. But before he left, he said, hey guys, wait for something. Wait for something before you take off and launch the church. And he said, I'm going to give you something that's, that's going to empower you to do what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some grace, and grace is unmerited favor, and in a sense, it's also the power to do stuff. And he said, I want to do it. And so in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, it will empower you to be my witnesses. And he tells you everywhere, you'll be my witnesses. And so that was the launching of the church. And we see this incredible, not perfect, okay? Let me explain something to you. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you show up at it, you make it imperfect, Okay. If he was perfect before, because all of us are imperfect. But there is no such thing as a perfect church. And this is what we shall see today was not a perfect church by any means. But it was a church that was empowered by God's Spirit in such a way is that they were witnesses. And we talked about this last week uh, in bold ways. They prayed bold prayers. Let me ask you, did any of you pray a bold prayer this week? Anybody? Anybody pray bold prayer this week? Okay. Cool. I, you know, the thing I was going to do, and, I, and I'm going to do it this week, and I'll send it out. I'm going to send you out a letter, email letter, and I'm going to ask you, you know, have you prayed any bold prayers? And if you're willing to share, what was that prayer and how did God answer that? Or has he answered it yet? You know, we started praying bold prayers in, uh, in our staff meeting on Tuesday. We said, hey, let's, let's not just talk about this. Let's do it. And so uh, one of the bold prayers that uh, Chris prayed was that we'd have 180 families sign up for uh, financial peace. Um, got a little bit to go, but you know, that's not out of the, out of, out of reach. I mean, that might be a poll prayer. I don't know. Uh, you know, somebody else said, Hey, let's have 2000 at, uh, uh, the, uh, community bash this, this, this week, man. I mean, 2000 says, I don't know what we'll do, you know, to tell you the truth, but I guess we'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, and, and we prayed bold prayers like that. I prayed bold prayers that God, and I shared with you last week that God would begin to open doors with my neighbors in my cul-de-sac. That not only that I pray for them, but I would have opportunities to speak into their life in such a way that God would let me be a witness because that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what God promises in Acts 1-8. That the Holy Spirit comes and I will be a witness. And also that God would do amazing things in our community that only God could, could only be explained by God. That's what we talked about last week. And so that's the, that's the reason that we talk about and look at Acts because it, it describes to us the kind of church that happens when God's Spirit is in charge. And today we look at some more evidences of the Spirit and what happens. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 4, verses 32, and we're going to begin there. And there's two passages today. We're going to look at the end of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. And they do go together, but they're two separate. So the first title is Generosity, chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. And it says this in verse uh, 37, right after talking about all the bold praying last week, all the believers were one in heart and mind, And no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, that's an interesting part right there. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. All the believers, when the Holy Spirit was involved in their life and what it made them to do, it made them still, uh, their possessions were not like this. It's like this. God's Spirit, when He works in your life in a real way, will make you a person who is generous. We're going to talk in a couple of weeks, and some of you I know, I mean, Labor Day weekend is a big travel time, but I don't care. I'm going to speak in one of the most important passages in all Scripture called the rich fool. And, and it really deals with this whole thing of being rich towards God or rich towards myself. 
And the thing is, is that, that here we see the evidence here of the of God's working in their life in tremendous ways through the Spirit. And, and, and the result of that was they became generous people. No one claimed that anything they had was their own, but they shared everything they had. They had this open-handed attitude towards stuff. It wasn't about me, it was about we. I can tell you in my own life that this grace of giving, this, this openness to things has been one of the most important keys in my life to seeing God at work. It's not like, you know, because I give that God all of a sudden gives back. No, that's not the deal because we've heard a lot of that garbage, you know, some preaching on TV or whatever occasionally. You know, if you give to God, he'll give you back, you know. Well, maybe, but maybe not the way you think he's going to give you back. But the thing is, is that I've seen when, in a real sense, when God's been working in my, in my life and making me open to things, that the more that I'm more generous than it seems to unplug, I would call it my spiritual constipation, You know, and it allows me to be to flow free. <laughs> That's a really bad example, isn't it? <laughs> it's the best thing I could think about. Got your attention though, right? You'll remember that. And so that's the first thing we see here. And then it says this. You know, it says that they're generous. And then it goes back to something that's talked about all the way through this chapter. Or actually through Acts it says. Then it says in the middle of this, you know, about being generous. And with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Because they they had this attitude that nothing owns me. They weren't self-centered. Guess what it did? It opened them once again to testify, to pray bold prayers, to be open to people around them. And we talked about this last week. You see, the Holy Spirit plus boldness equals power. But boldness without the Spirit, you know what it equals? Bluntness. And probably you mess up some stuff. And so we see that in the first verse. Then it goes forward and it goes a little bit more. And it says, in the next verse, it says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that they were, uh, and to them all, that there were no needy persons among them. God's grace was so, what is God's grace? God's grace is, 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 is unmerited favor. That's the literal translation of the word grace, but it means even more. It's God's ability, power to flow through us and work in us. It's not something that you get because you work for it. It's something God gives to you because, because you open yourself up to that in a real sense. And so it says that that was what happened to them. Because of that, they were aware of the needs of people around them. They weren't so self-focused that they lost sight of things. They weren't had, didn't have tunnel vision in their life. They had a focus on people, and that was the kind of church. Wouldn't you love to be in a community where everybody kind of like really helped each other? If you had a need, you know, and and people were... Now, I'm not talking about just physical needs. It may be... Emo- people were so in tune and you had a small group of people that were so in tune with who you were and where you were and what was going on with you that they were there to help. That's what the early church is like. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life when we allow Him to work in our life. His grace, God's grace, is powerfully at work. It wasn't coerced either. It wasn't something that they go... You know, you can't, you can't make people be generous. You know that? I wish I could. You know, I was going to be generous. 
And you'd all be generous. No, it doesn't work that way. You don't coerce it. But it's something that happens in your life when you open yourself to God. And they experience God's grace through generosity. I love a passage of Scripture that's uh, it's not on the, it's not going to be on the screen. You just have to look it up yourself. But a passage that reminded me of this, what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and following. It says this, it says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know, that, the thing is, is that it's not once again this idea that, that you and I, because we give, that we get. But it's the idea once again that, you know, what, what stops us from allowing God's to work in us, His Spirit to work in us and, and to flow through us is, is that we become all self-centered and self-focused and we don't let God work in us in a real way. And He says, you know, the thing that will unplug the process is the us beginning to say, hey, it's not mine, it's yours, God. Everything is yours. And then it says this in the next verse in, in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, uh, in verse 7, it says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what it means? That when we give, and when you give and you're going like, <clears throat> and you have this attitude, you have an attitude, you know what it means to have attitude, Right? And you give with an attitude, wrong attitude. He said, maybe you shouldn't even give. Because you're not doing it in the right way. But God loves a cheerful giver. And then I love what it says in verse 8 of this chapter. It says, and, and you might want to write this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. And, and verse 8 says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. How, what kind of grace? All grace. It means God will empower you in your life and give you unmerited favor and blessing in your life. It doesn't mean a lot of stuff now, but it'll give you unmerited favor and blessing in your life so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It says that God will unstop the process and will give you grace, unmerited favor, the ability to do what he wants you to do. Uh, that All those things... Uh, and how do you know that that happens is when you get the place to be a generous person. You know, I can't tell you this, but one of the biggest miracles in the world I could see is God just unplugging selfishness from our lives. Is that true? You know, some of us are sitting around going like, man, I love the Holy Spirit because many can do all kinds of miracles. Well, maybe one of the biggest miracles is you becoming, me becoming unselfish. That everything we have in life, you know, so often we say, hey, I've worked hard for it. Well, yeah, you have. But whose was it before you worked hard for it? Because who created all things? And so we have our hand open and God works. That's what the early church was like. You know, so, and, and that's been abused for a long time. It's uh, this, that verse there, you know, people say, oh, you know, you know, give to the church and, you know, and God will bless you. Well, no, that's not the reason you give. You give because you love, and you give because God has worked in your heart, and you give because you ex- wanted to have an expression of love, but not because you think you'll get something in return. You can't make, make people want to be generous. Only God's Spirit can change a heart. And then it gives in the next part of the verse, and in, in going back to Acts chapter 4, uh, the, it gives an example of what this means. It gives a, a good example, and then we'll see a bad example in just a minute here. Uh, a good example, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. First time we hear of this guy, going to be a great leader later on, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and bought the, brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Uh, it's interesting here. Um, 
Oh, I forgot to read the last part of the, the last passage too. Go, go back, go, go back one. Okay, go, there we go. Sorry. And he said, God grace worked powerfully. Then it says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who has need. Then go to the next verse. Okay, there it goes. Then it gives an example of this. Twice it says this thing about putting it at the apostles' feet. I asked myself a question. What does that mean? I think it's pretty clear here that the, the trust level and the leadership in this church was such that they would take... Not It doesn't mean that you take everything you have and give it to God because we will see that in a minute. It's not what God's asking. He's saying as you, you, know, as you give to God, he's saying here, they took in the early church, they would place it and they would say, I trust the leadership of the apostles. And so because of that, I want to be humble and, re, and it requires humility and submission. And I want to say to them, leaders, I trust you to know what's best and what's the priority. We have the struggle all the time in churches. I want to tell you the struggle that we have. Even when people want to give, sometimes they want to give, uh, I would call it kind of like directionally. They want to direct their giving to certain things. And the problem with that is sometimes, I, you know, I can tell you some bizarre stories after being a pastor for 30 years of people who wanted to give to things, but it really wasn't anything the church really needed, but they wanted to give it to the church because that was what they wanted to do. And several times I had to say no. You're going, you told somebody no, they couldn't give to the church? Yeah, because they were given for the wrong reason and the wrong purpose, and it was promoting the wrong idea. And I would simply say, hey, the leadership of the church is, is determined that these are the priorities of the church. We look at the big picture, and we understand there are certain things. And, and, and if you just got to trust us. you got to trust us. And that's what it's saying here. It says it twice. They delayed it at the apostles' feet. It's saying there was a level of trust and leadership that they brought the things and said, hey, you guys, because you see the bigger picture, you know what the priorities are, that I'm going to trust you and trust you to do what's right at this time. Now, I've got to say this to you this morning, that there's some reasons that I want you to understand how you trust leadership in the church. And I want to tell you how leadership works here at Great Oaks. And I want to tell you some of the reasons that some reasons you shouldn't give to the church. Okay? And that's interesting this morning. I wouldn't give to a church that was not, that did not uh, 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 follow accounting principles. That wasn't audited. We are. Not every year, but we are on a regular basis. I, I wouldn't give to a church where pastors we're involved in the finances where we could write checks. I have never, in this church or the previous church or the church before that, had the ability, none of the staff can do this, writes checks. We have a separation. We have Now we have an admin council, it's called administrative council, that they oversee the finances of the church. I have no, the only input I have is when we're making budget. The only input any staff have is when we're making budget. And the thing is, is that we have, none of us on staff, none of us can, can have control over finances. I can't write a check. And even the people that write the checks have to have somebody else to sign off on the checks. There's a checks and balance, checks and balance system. I wouldn't give to a church, and I'll tell you this, where the pastors know what people give. I don't know what you give. I could if I coerced the person that does the, <laughs> that keeps all the information. I could know what you give. But I don't want to know what you get. I want it to be between you and God. And you're just going like, well, shouldn't you know if, if you ask people to be in leadership? Well, we make people in leadership, or we do this, and we didn't do it as well early. We're doing it better now. We let them decide themselves. They eliminate or 
you know, we give them a thing that says, these are the things that required for leadership. One of them is giving to the church. And if any of these things, you don't have to tell them what they are. If any of these things disqualify, you just let us know you're not qualified. I don't know which one qualifies them or disqualifies them. But I wouldn't give to a church that, that where the pastors, because what it is, it makes people, it's kind of weird. So I just think all of you are tithers, okay? You just all give generously to God, tithe it above. I, I, would not, I would not give to a church that was not giving significant amounts of their resources to ministries outside the church. You know, if I'm asking, if we're asking you to give to the church outside of your own, you know, home, we want to understand that we're not about just doing it here. We're, we're about serving the greater community, the world through missions and through planting churches and, and, and through giving, through benevolence and giving to the poor, all those things. But I want to let you know because we have those things in place. I believe you can't trust leadership here because we try to keep on top of things. We have the checks and balances. And if we have these things in place, what it's saying here is put your trust in leaders. See, grace was flowing in the early church and generosity was evident. That was number one. The second thing is in chapter 5, and I would call this the first 11 verses, authenticity. Authenticity. And I want to call this, the subtitle is this, Exposing the Curse of Deception. Exposing the curse of deception. When deception happens in something, what happens? What does it do? What does it break down? Trust. It breaks down trust. When deception is true in the family, when deception is true in a business, when deception is, is happening anywhere, it breaks down trust. It Division follows the process. And I want to show you, and this is an example here of how seriously God... Hates, use that term, deception, inauthentic people, dishonesty. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And okay, they just, just had the story, remember? The story of Barnabas, sold a piece, gave it, laid it at the apostles' feet. So here, do what you want to with it. You guys make the choice. It says, another man named Ananias also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, when you read that, just like that, you're going like, okay, what's the deal there? Well, let's read further. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now, when you read that in English, you don't get the whole impact of it because the Greek there basically means why have you deceived God? Why have you embezzled from God in a real sense is what it's saying. He knew some way, I don't know how, through a direct revelation from God or whatever, Peter knew that Ananias was not telling the truth. He came and he laid this money at the feet of the apostles and he said, hey, I sold this piece of property just like Barnabas, look at me. Here it is. I've given it all. But he lied because he had not given it all. Now the problem here is not that he didn't give it all. That's not the problem because, as we'll read in just a moment, it wasn't about the expectation he couldn't give it all, but the problem was he lied to the people and in a sense he tried to lie to God. Now can you really lie to God? Let me ask you. Literally, can you lie to God? Can you try to lie to God? 
Who are you lying to when you lie to God? Yourself. You're being dishonest. Because God knows what's in your heart, in your mind, right? That's the God I understand. Do you all understand the same God that I do? Or maybe it's a different God. I don't know. But, you know, God understands all things. And so that's the deal here. And so that's what what he says. See, this is not about giving it all to God, but we're responsible for what he is for how we use everything and how we're honest with how we use everything. That's the deal here. Because then he says, Peter says this in the next verse. He says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Sure. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Yeah. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. The problem was, he's telling this to Ananias. He's saying, why did you contrive this plan? What was your motivation? You lied to God. Not, and the problem was not taking God seriously. He says, wasn't this all at your disposal? You could have chosen to give you know, 10% or 20% or 30% and just told us that. That'd be fine. But because you're so worried about your perception and what you look like, the issue is, is that you have lied to God and lied to men and, and in a sense lied to yourself. You've been dishonest. You've not taken God seriously. <laughs> and then we see the big, bad part of this verse. Because it says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Now, isn't that harsh? Do you think that's a little overkill? I mean, he lies and so he falls down and dies. That's what it says here. He falls down and dies. And and guess what? It says this in the next verse. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Duh. I mean, you know, you come to church and, you know, you're going to give an offering and you say you're going to do this and you really don't do it and you've lied and you're going like, okay, God, you know, that's not a big deal. God will forgive me. God's all about love. It's the God I want to believe in. <laughs> and so God, I, don't, I, I used the term whacked you uh, in, when we were talk, praying about this morning. And I, go, I don't know what that means. I don't know how he died. I don't know if he had an aneurysm. God caused some kind of medical problem. I don't know if God <laughs> sucked the life out of him. I don't know what happened. But the issue is, is that he died instantly. And, and, and then said, then some of the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. I had seemed kind of harsh. But let me tell you, there's a precedent for this in the Old Testament. This is the beginning of the early church. It's the beginning of of when the people of Israel crossed uh, the Jordan River and went into this place called Jericho. And they had just gone into this and they captured a whole bunch of stuff and had a whole bunch of things um, in their life there. The whole bunch of, uh, they call it, you know, like like uh, uh, gold and all kind of things there. They had captured, and they were supposed to take it. And it says back in Joshua chapter uh, chapter seven, I believe, or chapter yeah, Joshua chapter seven, they had gone into they'd gone to this place, and afterwards they were supposed to put all this stuff that they had captured uh, into the into the treasury for the common good of all the people, and to and to, it's an honor to God. And one guy, one guy named Achan, one guy named Achan in the Old Testament, what did he do? Those of you who know scripture. He took some, saw some stuff, and he says, man, this little stuff looks good. I'm, I'll give most of it back, but I'm going to keep this stuff. and I'm going I'm to bury it under my tent so nobody will know it's there. And for a while, a little while, nobody knew it was there. And then what happened? They decided to go on another uh, expedition and, and take over this another place called Ai, A-I. 
And they're going there to this place to take over this place. And, 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 and they've had such a great victory before. They went like, oh, we don't need to take all the guys. Let's just take 3,000 guys because there's not that many people there that we can overcome this city. And so they go there and they're routed. Their Israelites are just, just you know, a bunch of them are killed and, and things happening. And they begin to question, why did this happen? And God gives revelation to Joshua and he says, Joshua, you know, somebody in your camp has taken the things that was supposed to be for everybody and have has lied. Same problem that Ananias had. And so God says, what you need to do is you need to go and find who that person is and you need to destroy him. Now you're going like, wow, that's not the God I know. Well, you need to understand, I don't think God, every time you lie to him, thank goodness, thank goodness. That every time you lie to God, God does going to go. Because would any of us be sitting here? Okay, good news. But I really believe at the beginning of this time, so this was the beginning of the, of, the, of the people of Israel following him after they went into the promised land. At the beginning, that they weren't taking God seriously. And so what happened? At least a number of people weren't. So God uses this extreme example of and and and, uh, and Achan was was stoned to death. He, it was done because God told him to. It says, and then in the New Testament, at the beginning of the church, when people aren't taking God seriously, once again, he he comes and and God destroys and kills Ananias because he wasn't taking him seriously. It's, it's as almost an example. See, we often and, and I really believe this is true, and I, I know this is true. That we often treat God or want to treat God like he's our good buddy. Don't we? Sometimes. Jesus is my best friend. Doesn't that seem nice? Well, I want to tell you something scripturally. God loves us with an incredible love. A perfect love. But he's not your good buddy. And he's not. When you think of a friend, he's not the exact same kind of friend. He's not an equal. He's God. The creator of the universe. All powerful. And we do not, and we need to treat him with fear. A healthy fear. You know, there's some things to be, have a healthy fear of, right? You ever treat your, tell your children to have a fear of anything? I mean, how many of you, I'm going to use the, the obvious illustration, don't put your hand on, on a hot stove. You need to fear that because what will happen? Come on, this is not that hard, you know. You'll get burned. Or don't play in the street, you'll get run over. Or you, know, you just name all the different things. We, we, we want to have healthy fears. for thir- their, their Fear is actually not a bad emotion. When it's used in the right way, there are healthy fears. And the problem is so often is we simply do not take God seriously. God says, I want you to be authentic with me. I don't want you to be dishonest. And then we go on with the story. And I'm just going like, oh my gosh, could it get worse? After three hours later, his wife comes in not knowing what has happened. Three hours, she doesn't. Of course, this is before, this is before Twitter. You know, and this is before Facebook. So, you know, if in our world it would have happened in three minutes, everybody would have known what was happening because, of, you know, it would have been on Facebook. 
But no, they don't have any of those things. So what happens is she doesn't know what's happened. And it says, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? The price that Ananias had said? He gives her the opportunity of saying, no. But she goes right along with the roost, right along with the same thing her husband has said. And she says, yeah, that's the price. And then Peter looks at her and says, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and found finding her dead. Can't believe I mean, these guys just walked all this way with this one dead person. And now they come back and they have to get another one. Poor guys. No, that's not the way I feel. You don't feel about that at all, do you? Because the issue is here, it says that she did the same thing. They buried her beside her husband. And then I love the next verse. The obvious thing happens. Great fear. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. See, at the end of the day, the problem was Ananias and Sapphira didn't fear God. They thought they could lie to him and take him lightly. And what happened was, God said, hey, I want you to understand as a people that you need to to fear me in a healthy way. You need to take me seriously. I mean, because the fear of God is like, if I don't do what God instructs, there's going to be a problem. The fear of God is, I can't afford to play games and mess around. The fear of God is, uh, God is extremely seriously about what He, serious about what He wants. That's the fear of God. I mean, Proverbs 9-10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Man, if you, if you wanna, if you wanna have wisdom in your life, you need to understand that God is to be taken seriously. Do you have that, a healthy fear of God? Now, I mean, you probably didn't come this morning to hear this, did you? You want to hear all about God's love. But I was, you know, happened to be in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and I had to teach what's there in Scripture. And that's what's there. But I think it's important. You know, do you have that, a healthy fear of God? You know, a, a fear that says, I better do, do it God's way in my finances, in my health, in my business. I better do what God says. I'm going to suffer the consequences. You may not be zapped, okay? But God has set things in motion in a certain way, and He has principles and rules in our culture that He set in place. And if we go against those, you will suffer the consequences. We know that, right? I mean, one of the reasons we're trying to—we hope every one of you—I tell you this: every person here could benefit from Financial Peace University. Every person here. I went through it. I've, I've taught this stuff for years, and I learned some new stuff about it myself. I was reminded of some things. And one of the things, you know, in, in our finances, if we do not take God seriously in that, we will suffer the consequences. As a nation, that's what's happening right now. <laughs> because would you say that the people in America are generous? Do we hold everything like this, or would you have more like this? And I love Psalm 34, 9, which says, Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Isn't that a great verse? If you fear God and if you have a healthy respect for God, you if you're his holy people, you will lack nothing. He says, do it God's way and you will lack nothing. 
See, the early church had this, and when they started not to have this fear of God, God moved toward them aggressively until they had it again. The question is, I'm wondering, God did it in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? No. How often does He have to remind us of this? You know, it's always wiser to learn from the mistakes of other people than to learn it and do it your, learn it your own, your own self. You always tell your kids that, right? Yeah. Do, do we ever, did they ever learn it that, did we ever learn it that way? Once in a while, very seldom. Great fear seized the whole church and all those who heard about these events. And the result was the church, was a church of generosity and a church of authenticity. Two things we desperately need if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.